0: Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday on South podcast presented to you by Texas Pete. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, um, I'm just going to say this. I think it's time that the
1: SEC should start claiming Texas. What do we think? Mm -hmm. We on board with that? We're day one Texas fans, me and you. We've always been very bullish on where they could go. We've often said they're back, so I think this is great for us. Totally. I mean, the SEC is in such a position right now where if it just
0: quietly claimed this as a non-conference mm-hmm. win. Well, I guess you would have to claim it as a as a conference win. As a conference win. Right. I, I don't think anybody would necessarily push back. Um, obviously, we have a ton to get to today. We're going to recap just a really, really bad week two response for the SEC in a variety of ways. Um, and we'll ask some questions with Yarna not at, at the end. We're going to go through all the Power 5 games as well as Ole Miss being able to, to win on the road against a Michael Prattless Tulane. But – we got to start with, obviously, Texas stunning Alabama. And I say stunning not because, oh, nobody thought that Texas could win. Obviously, there were plenty of people that had Texas as be- Texas beating Alabama was a very, very popular preseason upset pick. I definitely did not have that. Texas is not back, but holy <sighs> crap, what a statement that was. It wasn't just – if they had won the way that they did last year – I think we would be having a different conversation. But the manner in which they went into Tuscaloosa and won that football game, wow. I could not have been more wrong about yeah. Texas. I doubted their toughness. I prematurely crowned the toughness of Alabama. I mean, it is it is wild to think. The history, when you think about this game and what Texas just did, is probably even more impressive than what we realize in the moment. And we've talked about some of this, but that's Bama's first loss in non-conference play since Louisiana Monroe, 2007. Yep. Um, The George Bush administration, the W administration who could forget that is, I do a really good George Bush and in honor of Texas, I'm actually going to give the audience a little bit of a favor by not doing it. Okay. I'm I'm not going to do the W imitation. I'll save that one for offline. 21 consecutive home wins. That streak is gone. Longest home winning streak in the nation is no longer. That is Bama's first home loss of the 2020s. It is Saban's first loss by double digits at home since he lost to Florida. That's right. So back when Saban was at LSU, since he lost to Florida in 2003, the head coach of that Florida team. Of oh my course, gosh. Was who was Florida's head coach? Uh, Zook. Very good. Of course. Who could forget Ron Zook, famous for going into hostile atmospheres and beating the greatest coach in the history of college football, obviously. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Saban's first ever loss to a former assistant in Tuscaloosa. That's the part that I don't know that we're we're fully grasping because once upon a time, it was, if you're a former Saban assistant, you're going to find a way to overthink this. You are going to ruin your chance at, at beating him. He's just going to be so in your head and it's impossible. And we talk about the Kirby mistakes and the fake punt, in the 2018 ICC championship. We talk about all these little things that you can do a cover two bust in the national championship with Kirby or, you know, even Jimbo like last year with maybe overthinking it on the goal line with that play call that he had. And, and obviously Jimbo had already taken Saban down the year before, but once mm-hmm. upon a time that former assistant on the opposing sideline was almost like, the guys who golfed with tiger on Sunday of a major, they would just craft mm-hmm. the bed and they'd find a way. And no longer is that the case. Sark totally outcoached Nick Saban in this game. Like every, which way you can look at this. I felt like it was watching. Did you feel like you were watching the 2020
1: Bama offense, but with Texas uniforms? Cause that's what that for me. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that you're right right on the money there. I think that the thing that was surprising about this game is the way that Texas out Alabama. I think that the offensive line for Alabama is still a question mark. It was all the things that we thought and were kind of sold over the offseason that Alabama had, you know, com- specifically wrapped up, you know, talking about making offensive linemen captains, talking about now we're going to play joyless murder ball, Nick Saban smiling at the press conference. Oh, we've found Jalen Milrow. Jalen Milrow has arrived. All of those narratives got snapped back like a rubber band in one night. One night. That's it. That,
0: that That is truly all it took for eight months of is Alabama about to just open up the biggest revenge tour it ever has to, oh man, they, they're just not on that level. And the skepticism was correct. Mm-hmm. I don't know how Bama possibly, possibly lets AD Mitchell get open like he does, but still that's happening. So I guess maybe mm-hmm. maybe it's a good thing that Bama's doing things that it was doing in 2021. Um, but he – I mean that guy, you could stick him I, – I, I tweeted like you could put him in the Super Bowl tomorrow and that guy would find a way to have a touchdown for the winning team in the Super Bowl. That's just how clutch A.D. Mitchell is. He's that good. Mm-hmm. Quinn Ewers though, we talked about this beforehand. The quarterbacks that have gone into Tuscaloosa and have won have been these cocky, confident dudes who just – Mm-hmm. Don't really sense that fear. Uh, a Joe Burrow, a Cam Newton, a Johnny Manziel, even a Swag Kelly. I mean, <laughs> even Swag. Mm-hmm. Quinn Ewers, this version of him, he came into his own in so many ways. For all the people that have said, this guy is overrated, get Malik Murphy in there, Archie's going to steal his job. That was like just so unbelievably composed and poised. Mm-hmm. Holly Roasted on the broadcast. He really didn't let himself experience this emotional wave like until I think that that last touchdown past A.D. Mitchell. That was when he really kind of got fired up, and it was holy crap! They're they're gonna do this. They're absolutely gonna do this. I just thought that he played a whale of a game, and I don't know that we can go so far to say that he would have done this if he would have stayed in the game last year and not gotten hurt on the Dallas Turner play. Mm -hmm. But did it make you wonder a little bit? Because it definitely did for me.
1: Yeah. I mean, and we talked about in the lead up of this about how we need to just cut it loose. And we got like LinkedIn Quinn today. I mean, there was no wild to this guy's game. He came in, started with a firm handshake. He was like, hello, nice to meet you. And just started like operating. It was not some like out of body experience for Quinn Ewers. And they said in the broadcast, they had him as the number six quarterback in this upcoming draft class. Which I feels. Feels feels kind of low for what that guy has showed us in these big games. And I think we saw exactly what type of quarterback this guy was hyped to be as a recruit. What he could be at the next level. I mean, yeah, it wasn't. It didn't feel like some like swag Kelly fluke. It was like his risks were calculated risk. He was hitting guys downfield in stride. It wasn't like oh, let me just like throw the ball up and hope you know Mike Evans down there somewhere like Johnny Manziel did. It was like a every time. He would set his feet and rip the ball down the field. It was like, oh, there's going to be a guy standing wide open right there. Like, it was such a confident showing. That moon ball to Xavier Worthy that he just dropped from the heavens
0: into the end zone. Mm-hmm. That was the throw that made me go, oh, yeah, there's a reason why I love this kid. And I probably shouldn't mm-hmm. have doubted him as much as I did because he was he was phenomenal. There was no denying who the better quarterback was on the field. And unlike Jalen Milrow, he did not make that costly mistake. Part of it, part of it, and we'll get to the Milrow part of this in a second. The offensive line was, as you mentioned, the trenches play, Texas dominated that. And they did such a better job of protecting Quinn Ewers than Alabama to Jalen Milro. They had this on I was watching <clears throat> I was watching SEC final and they had this number. Ewers was pressured on just eight dropbacks. Forty times he dropped wow. back and only pressured eight times. He took zero sacks, not one. And Milroy pressured on, I think it was 19 of 39 dropbacks, and he took five sacks, which some of that's on Milrow. Some of it's on the offensive line. The offensive line didn't do him any favors. It wasn't like he had all day Mm -hmm. to be able to work through his progressions. Not that he was really working through his progressions to begin with, but yours was protected. Milrow was not. Mm -hmm. Man, the Milrow thing was tough. It was tough. This was... I don't want to make a comp because a comp feels really lazy here, and I just want to kind of Mm -hmm. keep it within the context of who he was last night. But this was the skepticism that you feared with Jalen Milrow coming into this season. And even Mm -hmm. the best version of him, which I thought we saw the best version of Jalen Milrow in the opener against middle Tennessee, probably an overreaction to say that, Oh, Bama definitely (laughs) against middle Tennessee is the key factor there. Yes. I am admittedly guilty of overreacting to what we saw against middle Tennessee. And I know I'm not alone. The two picks though, were just so bad. Like some people are going to look at a box score. We're going to get to Connor Wigman a little bit later on. And I thought he was really good. And you could look at the box score, see the two picks And you could look at it and be like, oh, see, like he did the same thing as Jalen Milrow. No, 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 no. Watch the interceptions Mm -hmm. and tell me that was the same sort of play. Because the Milrow thing, locking in on a receiver, being so locked in with tunnel vision that you can't see a defender drifting into space who's just waiting on you to make that throw. The mental clock is just not there with him yet. In the pocket presence, it is still lacking. And despite the fact that sometimes, sometimes, he can get out of those spots and there is maybe no better quarterback in the country of getting out of a play with a ground ball snap, but <laughs> he's he, it's crazy because he's so mobile, but I, he's not the guy you want with a porous offensive line. He's just not. Mm-hmm. And I,
1: He's just hanging out back there. Like that was my takeaway in watching him is like, he doesn't feel like a dynamic enough athlete to uh, offset all these mistakes. And it's like, he will feel pressure. He'll kind of move the pocket, but you don't feel like, oh, this is Lamar Jackson. This is Jalen Hurts. This is Jaden Daniels, who can just make a play and like run for 50 yards and make you put, make you pay. It's like he's sitting there just hanging out with the ball. And you're like, what are you going to do, buddy? Are you going to make this other guy miss? Are you going to hit a guy downfield? What's your move here? And it turns out to like hit a guy in the ankles, or he gets a five-yard scramble on a play that one of those guys would have made 30. And you're just kind of watching him like, uh-huh. Like, let's see it. Let's see this athleticism or something. And it just – we're just waiting all night.
0: I don't really think he makes many off-platform throws. You know, like, it feels like when Mm -hmm. you watch him, he's either in the pocket and he's got time, he's got pressure, and it's, like, his first read. Or maybe he looks off a safety and it's really his first read, but it looks like his second read. Or he's got to scramble all the way outside and then he – by then, like, set his his feet. feet, And then, yep. Whereas, like, yours makes so many more of those throws – And it's you're just looking at this guy going like man like that that that's somebody who who is polished and is coming into his own. And Milrow just has such a ways to go there. And so the question, of course, that everybody's wondering about coming out of this performance: one, did Saban make the wrong call at quarterback? Of course, we're going to play the results with that. And two, what does the leash look like moving forward? Because Saban admitted afterwards. You saw a post-game press conference. He's like, Yeah, at one point, you know, he thought about making a, a change at quarterback when they were they were down 13 to 6. They didn't score Alabama didn't score a touchdown until there was a minute left in the third quarter. Jermaine Burton finally gets a touchdown to stand instead of getting called off. He had two different <laughs> touchdowns called off. And mm-hmm. man, it was like that, but th- then that drive kept him in the game. And who knows, maybe if they don't have that drive we see a Tyler Buckner come into the game because it looks like Tyler Buckner was QB two last week. Um, We don't know definitively that Saban made the wrong call at quarterback because I, I can't sit here and tell you that Tyler Buckner would have been better given how much we've documented his ability to, 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 to make those mistakes in key moments and again if you I guess
1: a no threat quarterback.
0: At least Morrow is like can be a rushing quarterback. <laughs> no, Buckner's, Buckner's Buckner's mobile. Buckner is mobile and mm. and he's he's definitely capable of be of being that guy with his legs, but it's like you have that with Morrow. You have his ability to right. make those plays, but it's just it's just not good enough. It's not good enough for the standard that Alabama and Alabama quarterbacks are asked to to live up to. It's like we just kept talking about all offseason when Saban is saying, you can't make the plays that beat us, he just wants a guy that's not going to throw the stupid picks because that's not what Bama right. does. I went back and found this because I was like, it feels so rare that Bama has a game where a starting quarterback throws multiple interceptions, right? Since the start of 2017, Bama has five games against Power 5 competition that a quarterback threw multiple interceptions, okay? Think about this. 2018 SEC championship with Jalen Hurts, the comeback in the fourth quarter when Mm -hmm. Tua was really bad for three quarters of that game, 2018 Mm -hmm. national title game, blowout loss to Clemson. And yes, it's 2018 because it's at the end of the 2018 season, 2019 iron bowl, 2021 Mm -hmm. national championship against Georgia and 2023, Texas. Well, they went one and four in those games and they probably should have been zero and five that. Yeah, that's, Like you're not going to win, like no matter how good you are, no matter what your talent advantage is, which against Texas, it's obviously not as good. It is a really difficult thing to overcome mistakes like that. And Milrow just could not get out of his own way.
1: Yeah. And like, that was more of like the, the point of the joke I was making with Buckner is that like, if you have a quarterback who creates turnovers in Milrow, Buckner is also shown to be that. So that's the thing. And then behind them, you have a, freshman or a younger guy in Ty Simpson. So it's like there's no stability that you're trying to find here. And, and the thing about Milrow too is he's been known to fumble as well. He didn't do that, you know, last night. But that's what's so interesting is that this is what we kind of look forward to as, you know, uh, college football appreciators is an Alabama team that was not on the schedule, right? And I think we saw that last night. I think we saw an Alabama team that you saw the top end at times of what this could look like. At other times, you saw, again, Milro hitting guys in the ankles. You saw guys who were not on the same page. You saw balls going where receivers weren't. And I think that that, as a college football viewing public, makes things more interesting, right? Because through two games, you know we are less sure than ever, I feel, about who the best team in the West is. Georgia obviously looked solid, not great through a quarter, at least today. So I feel like what we were hoping for in the season was an SEC season that came down to the wire. And I think this is the exciting part is we get to see how Alabama is going to respond to a game like this.
0: Yeah. I don't think they're going to go 2014 Ohio state. <laughs> like that team for, for those forgetting that team lost to Virginia tech at home. And then mm-hmm. obviously ran the table the rest of the way went on just an absolute rampage down the stretch to be able to make the college playoff, a spot that many people felt should have belonged to TCU. I don't think this Bama team has that gear because think about this. Bama had all the ammo in the world. All the ammo in the world. AL.com writes Mm -hmm. about Saban smiling and we're talking about, man, he's got to feel great. This is exactly the way that Saban draws it up. Finally, nobody's crowning his team preseason. Everybody's talking about the skepticism. JC Latham gets to SEC media days and says, Bama's going undefeated. We feel disrespected. There was a quiet confidence with this Bama team. They were going to be able to overcome Mm -hmm. this. This is the team that doesn't go three years without winning a national championship. This is the team that every single time we say they're not going to win, guess what they do? They win the SEC. They win an National championship man that that's that's not a championship team that's just that's just not like mm-hmm. none of none of that matters here's what matters bama doesn't have one single thing that it can say we do that top one percent of anybody in college mm-hmm. football where where is it what it ain't the secondary it's not the defensive line that couldn't get pressure on quinn ewers all night it's not the running game, which we were told was going to get back to Jordan this murder ball. It's not the quarterback situation where where it's not the receivers. Where Where is the area that Bama can point to and say, yeah, you know what? We're just, nobody's on our level with that. And that's, I think the biggest difference is that they get in these spots and you saw them in the, in these moments where like last year you, you had Bryce and Bryce could bail you out mm-hmm. of some of those moments and you would will Anderson on the defensive side. So like you can get that big time stop. There's not that this year. Like there is just nothing that Bama can say. We, no matter what, know that we're going to have this, this thing in a clutch moment in a game. And uh, it's, it's too lazy to say, it's just not having Bryce, but it's just not having anybody step up in those spots and say, Mm -hmm. no, this isn't happening. Not on my watch. Not today. This is a different standard. It's weird to say that, but am I crazy for thinking that?
1: I think you're completely on the money. I think that those two specific players were able to mask structural holes in this team that, I mean, they were just so talented. You shouldn't see it at such a high level. It was it was almost like a like a Tyron Matthew type vibe whenever that team was kind of broken functionally, but this dude was able to always come through. That was what, I mean... Will Anderson, we just know, makes the play in that game. That Quinn Ewers fumbles and they're right back in the game. Like, we saw it last year. We've, we've seen it a couple of times with him where it's like you never feel out of a game on defense. And same deal with Bryce. I mean, the there were so many games. This game included the LSU game where it was like the, we're they're getting pushed down into the hole and then suddenly Bryce Young makes one of the craziest plays you've ever seen. Um, And, yeah, who are those guys? Exactly your point. I think that, you know, you change the coordinators and you expect a little bit of, uh, like, it being – tumultuous but i think that like reese and milro just feel like a horrible pairing because i think their flaws are very similar like i think that reese is a guy who's like this young upstart guy who like isn't great at like building a game plan and then we have milro who is not great at moving off of schedule and like i just feel like the moments we saw alabama shine were those moments and now it's almost like they're worse than average and so it's interesting to see where that's going to end up seeing the tommy reese on the
0: phone with Jalen Milroe him just mm-hmm. holding his head like this <laughs> and just looking exasperated that mm-hmm. that that told you everything you needed to see right there there it just felt like there was a a desire to find those answers and I don't really know I'm not gonna totally let Tommy Reese off the hook here because obviously he was unable to to dial up the right looks and Jalen Monroe was taking too many hits and they, they just couldn't find an offensive rhythm. And when they did, it felt like Texas just responded and Texas just had mm-hmm. that cha- championship heavyweight mentality where they keep throwing haymakers. It's not just jabs. But I didn't really know what the answers were. Should they have given the ball to, to Royda Williams, Jason McClellan more? I, yeah, I mean, maybe there's always that that desire to, but then you get into some of these second and eight, second and nines, and you're like, man, I... We're, we're down 10 right now. we want to be able to get some of these chunk plays back so it's, it's a little bit difficult from that standpoint but yeah I, I don't really know that making quarterback change is all of a sudden going to turn mm-hmm. Bama into this juggernaut. I still am not probably willing to say Bama's an eight and four type team but oh, that felt that that felt like a team that's got some some growing pains ahead still and did not feel like a team that's totally out of the woods. And the, the biggest thing that we kept talking about the last two years, probably with Bama and how atypical it was the the most unsaving like thing of Bama, the last two years and all these close games that they played in was the lack of discipline being bottom 20 mm-hmm. in the, the country. Penalties. Yep. And in this game, it's the same thing. It's, mm-hmm. it's You're like, what is it? Just he gets Saban against Sark. This team just can't get out of its own way. I mean that is that uh, fitting that the game ended on a, an offsides penalty where Texas draws them offsides and it's like this 7 minute mm-hmm. drive it was what 12 plays 30 12 plays for 32 yards that Texas had on this 7 minute drive or whatever it was to end the to end mm-hmm. the game like that's that's it Texas was more disciplined Bama was not disciplined um, a lot of people are going to wonder did this say more about Bama or did this say more about Texas I always hedge and say it's 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 about both um, because mm-hmm. I don't think it's fair. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's fair to say that they're just going in opposite directions. Let's even Sark mm-hmm. was tempering expectations. And remember, remember, despite what every single debate show is going to tell you, despite what you know, the podcast who are going to say that Texas is back because they're not smart enough to come with any sort of nuanced take because they just want to be able to put out a clip for forty-five seconds. But remember, folks. Texas isn't back until it gets to a national championship. Mm -hmm. I give Sark a lot of credit for not taking the bait afterwards. Monumental win for Texas. Not denying that. It is also week two. Texas puking on its shoes and losing games against Iowa State or Oklahoma or, or Kansas State or whomever it doesn't automatically feel like Texas is just going 12 and zero or 12 and one in route to the college football playoff. But mm-hmm. having said that I would have no problem. If you want to put Texas at number one, I'd have no problem. I personally would still <laughs> put George there when you haven't lost a regular season game in almost three years. I think that to me says a little bit more, but I have no problem with it. I think Texas doing something that it hasn't done since, 1969, that is, beat an AP top three team. That Texas team, by the way, last pre-integration
1: national championship winner. So... Think about that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hallmark for the Texas program. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I I will say, I think this does a lot more for Texas. I mean, honestly, this just looked like the same Alabama from last year, minus those two athletes. But what we didn't see was a Texas team that got scared. Yeah. And I think that no matter, like we could talk about Quinn Ewers being hurt last year, whatever, but when he came out of the game, they started playing scared. They started clinching. They started to, the belief that they could beat Alabama and Bryce Young started to just leave their bodies. And it felt like, as we got into the championship rounds of this game, Texas played better. It feels like their push was better. I think exactly to your point, they got the ball back and we all kind of thought like, okay, well, Bama's going to at least get the ball back, you know, one or two more times. We'll, we'll be able to see what the chess matches is, is here. And Texas was just like, nope, we are just going to step on your neck over and over and over again. Like Marshawn said, run through MF face again, again and again and again and again. And that's what they did. It was like, yo, know, like, You think it's a fluke that you can't get pressure. Let me explain to you why that's wrong. Oh, you think it's a fluke that Quinn Ewers can hit this dude downfield. Let me explain to you why that's wrong. Scheme for that to not happen again. I I dare you. I double dare you. And they just kept going at it. So, yeah, I think that until you beat Alabama, you never believe you can beat Alabama. And I think that in the modern age, that is such a – usually it's a later chip. But we talk about how long it took Kirby to truly believe he could beat Alabama. And it wasn't until the national championship game where it mattered the most. And so the fact that Sark is kind of earlier on in his journey and he's had all the critics, he's had all this stuff and he's kind of at this tipping point where it's like, you have these great recruiting classes, you have Arch Manning. All you need to do is just sell a little bit of opium right now. Beating Alabama is the best thing you can do to, to sell that. If Texas had come out
0: and done what I had predicted, which was lose by three touchdowns, there's really not a whole lot that Texas could have done the rest of the regular season, maybe even into the postseason because it would have maybe had some like Lincoln-Riley-Oklahoma vibes, there really wouldn't mm-hmm. have been a ton that you could have done to say, oh, Texas is ready for the SEC. Right. That conversation changed in one night. In They're one first place in the West now, brother. Easily. <laughs> easily. And they'd be heads and shoulders above every team in the West right now. But mm-hmm. I think the conversation around Texas is, as a whole – is going to change as it should because those wins do not grow on trees. Texas has been so so unbelievably bad in these big time spots, and with all eyes on them, man, did they step up? They delivered. Sark is in a different stratosphere than what he was at this time last week with Texas and his approval rating, and he's off every hot seat list. And this is mm-hmm. uh, this is now a chaos scenario. This is the chaos scenario that we that we floated out there. It is happening. Get ready, get ready for all the Texas takes this week. Get ready for them because they're going to mm-hmm. be coming out in full force. A team in Texas that wasn't this good, Will. Texas A&M. <laughs> a few th- I, I got a lot of thoughts on this one. Could not yeah. stop Miami. I said that this game would be when everyone believes in the Texas A&M offense run by Bobby Petrino. This would be the day that skeptics are converted into believers. And instead it turned into the game that everyone became Miami offense believers, Tyler Van Dyke mm-hmm. believers rising mm-hmm. from the dead, this bounce back season that many hoped Tyler Van Dyke would have. He looks like he's well on the way uh, on his way to having it. And Miami's offense looked really, really good. That was the headline. Obviously like they torched that AM secondary who was so unbelievably bad. You had guys running into each other. You had guys looking at the sideline not getting the play in and getting burned over the top coverage bus. Like it was mm-hmm. terrible from that, from that standpoint and the am secondary had the worst week of anybody on a big stage. There's no doubt about that. And for a, a group that was number one in the country last year against the pass, think about that number one in the country against the pass. They look like they have major issues in a post Jalen Jones, Antonio Johnson world. And I, I'm not dismissing how big that was for Miami because I think for those who came into this season with questions about Mario Cristobal and what it was going to look like after just a weird offseason exodus with their coordinators, I think they wanted to see a game like that. And that's exactly what they got. And AM did not look ready after. Well, they really came out guns blazing to start off. I mean, the special team play was mm-hmm. phenomenal, but they did not handle those adjustments that Miami was making and they just attacked, attacked, attacked on field. I'll say all that. And I'm not letting AM off the hook. I'm not. But, 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 but AM fans, you have the right offense and you have the right starting quarterback. Like, Connor Wigman's that dude. He 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 is that dude. If they don't have Connor Wigman in that offense, they lose that game 48 to seven. Like that, that to me, I, I looked at so many of the things he did. And I'm just focusing on on Wigman and, and the offense here. And I guess the running game left some on the table and they have room to go. Mm-hmm. This offensive line doesn't look like it was as good as the 2020 group as we thought it could be coming into this year. So there's that I get it, but he is making throws and plays that I have not seen any AM quarterback make under Jimbo. And I would argue some of the things that he's doing against pressure is like, this is going to get me in trouble. Some of the things that he's doing against pressure is even better than what Jameis was doing at Florida state. Like, I'm, and I'm not saying he's a better quarterback than, than a Heisman Trophy winner or anything like that, so don't get it twisted. Mm-hmm. But the amount of times that guy made on-target throws while getting hit, while facing pressure. One time, he, he totally slipped on the turf, which looked like it was an issue uh, as the game wore on. And Aniah Smith fell on, you know, slipped on the interception as well. But there was one time where he just slipped and looked like he totally lost his footing. And you're like, okay, this is going to be a ball that he's going to sail. It's going to be an interception. And it was right in stride. I think it was to Evan Stewart. And it, it didn't look mm-hmm. like it faced him whatsoever. I mean, I'm sold. I, I, I am sold on Connor Wigman. I know that's not the number one takeaway from this game. But we're going to get to the Jimbo part. I promise you, but the interceptions that he threw in this game, one was, like I said, Anaya Smith slipping on that play. and The other was fourth down when they're down 15 and it's the final play of the game. He's just trying to make something happen. And he's kind of thrown it up. He's going to give A&M a chance. He he is, and that's the silver lining of this game, which was a very frustrating post first quarter result for AM after how strong they came out in a half empty Miami stadium, which was just a <laughs> joke. Buy one, get one tickets. What a what a disaster that is. Don't give me this crap about college football just feels better when Miami's back. You know who doesn't give a crap? <laughs> Miami. Okay. fans. so college (laughs) football just sucked for the last 20 years. Is that what we're saying? College football has just been terrible throughout this entire time. And it's only good when Miami is there and they can get half of their stadium to show up for that game. Get out of here. I'm so sick Mm -hmm. of hearing that narrative. College football has been great without Miami being relevant. Great for Miami to have those moments. Happy for those diehard fans. Happy for Tyler Van Dyke, all that he's been through. (laughs) But get out of here. That take is so freaking lazy. We need to move on from it.
1: All six of their fans were just stoked about this. Ever, this they ever put ever. cheerleaders
0: in the stands so that they make them look more full. Will, what?
1: Yeah, oh, oh, it just bothers me. I, I feel I feel like I have a related point, and not to like jump on that, but I just I feel like Miami is not a um, <laughs> Miami is not a game for like moral victories. Like I feel like they should have just punched this Miami team in the mouth. I think that if you look at how they scored their first two touchdowns three plays, 15 yards off of like, block it was all special teams. Yep, It was all special teams. It was like bad punt. And then their, their second touchdown, two plays, nine yards. It was the same thing, special teams. So like, it it was like the one got blocked and the one was, it was like both ends of special teams basically ended up with Texas A&M being able to just chip shot in touchdowns. So yeah, I would almost argue this should have been worse than it was because the lead that A&M had never really felt real. Uh, And this is a Miami team that I, we've, they've been just the model of inconsistency and in how do we lose this game? So I was shocked by this one. I'm going to be honest, like I didn't really like have a big takeaway that like and did anything super well. I think that Miami, I don't even think they were it was some like arrival party. I've always loved TVD. You know I had him like Heisman odds last year, but they just appeared to not get out of their way and it's like on AM's end, yeah, this defense is like a problem. Like we don't huge. this Miami team probably would finish in the middle of the West, I feel <laughs> like I didn't see some coming out party for Miami. I was just like Oh, a And they got problems, dog. They got problems on the back end when
0: they can't get pressure <laughs> with their defensive line, and their defensive line is good. I mean, Diggs and and Jackson, mm-hmm. like they—they they, those guys make plays up front, but like when they don't get pressure, a veteran quarterback like that is going to pick them apart. They just they would attack yeah. a true freshman corner. DJ Durkin's job
1: security—I
0: don't know that he's—I I don't know that he's running it back this year. But I found myself saying, "Man, I wish I could have seen." The the Connor Wigman Bobby Petrino offense with the Mike Elko defense. Let I, give me <laughs> give me that pairing. That that would have been fun yeah. to see. Because instead, like AM might not be. They maybe they'll get back to eight and four. I don't really know. Maybe it's a little bit too early to to make that decision. But it feels like they have a better ceiling, certainly offensively. And I was wondering about this mm-hmm. as I watched this game. And I know I sound like I'm the most pro Wigman guy. I mean, if if I'm the most pro Wigman guy besides maybe Billy Lucci. I'll take it. That's fine. Whatever. How many quarterbacks in the sec would I want over Connor Wigman right now? I think just KJ. I think just KJ like, and and hmm. I don't think that he has some of the bad habits that a Spencer Rattler has. I think you look at the starts that Devin Leary, Carson back, Joe Milton have gotten off to, and none of them have even met expectations in terms of getting into a rhythm and just picking apart defenses And Wigman has looked it, man. He really, really has. And I know people are just going to look at the box score. They're just going to want to pile on Jimbo and say, hey, what's that buyout again? Everybody's floating around (laughs) the $76.8 million. I totally get all of it. And I I say this, even though I still like Jaden Daniels. He had a great day against an FCS opponent, against an HBCU. Congratulations, Jaden Daniels. I've never been the biggest Jaden guy. I try to think about the idea of Jaden setting his feet and squaring his shoulders and making some of the throws that Wigman can make. And he doesn't, mm-hmm. he doesn't like, and Wigman can still, and I'm not saying he's on Jaden's level as a runner or anything like that, but he's got enough awareness where when you want him to run, he runs and he makes people miss in the open field. And you don't really question that decision-making that clock with him. I've just been so impressed with him so far. And I was ready. I, I, I said coming into this year, I think he's got all sec type upside, but I've just really liked the spots that he has responded in. And even in a loss, I think that's the biggest silver lining. But obviously, anytime Jimbo Fisher loses a game, it's the buyout. It's how can this team mm-hmm. with this much talent look that bad against a Miami team who went 5-7 and seven last year. Mm-hmm. <sighs> last year, you beat Miami. You beat them 17-9 wasn't a barometer for the rest of the year. It was, mm-hmm. eh, this team is, this team didn't exactly bounce back the way you hoped after the app state loss. And this year, I'm not saying that it means they'll go on a different course for the rest of the way. But if, if you're saying it's five and seven all over again, I would definitely push back on that. Um, I think AM is just going to play in a lot more of these shootouts. That was their best road performance offensively in two years since going to mm-hmm. South Carolina 2021. But man, the defense, ugh, that back end is going to get torched by some of these SEC West quarterbacks.
1: Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm right here with you. I think this is about to be kind of a hilarious situation. I mean, who do you think is matter Jimbo or the Bama fans that wanted Tyler Van Dyke on Alabama? Cause that guy is electric. Like I don't want to sell short how well Tyler Van Dyke played. But, man, yeah, I, I just I, – I worry about the defense and I worry about – I mean, I, we neither of us really think DJ Derkin is some great coordinator, great enough to excuse, you know, kind of his past and everything. And you look at it and it's just like, you know, I think you're right. And in this way, I think the Bobby Petrino part of it, at least gave them a chance here. I think their offense definitely outplayed their defense. Yeah, but I think they just – it feels like they never had a chance after they got up early because, like I said, it was just no scoring. (laughs) They got those two quick touchdowns. They got another field goal, and then they just kind of were in a drought while Miami just teed off on them. It's like, man, it's so weird to see the juxtaposition of these two teams. Like you said, last year it was like this low scoring. Like, And we weren't really sure. Like I said, like it was kind of hard to predict both of those teams being five and seven at the time. But – it was still kind of these teams aren't what we thought they were. Now it's like, like I said, it's like, do I really see enough out of this to crown Miami? And I feel like I don't. So I'm just kind of like, yeah, A&M's it's gonna be a fun AM year for people like us. <laughs> it will be a fun year for people like us. For AM fans,
0: <laughs> uh, you know what? Not so much. It's gonna be a little bit rough. But at the same time, if you had told AM fans coming into this year, your 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 five star quarterback recruit is going to look the part through two weeks. Mm-hmm. You would have taken that all day every day, but clearly a flawed team in a game that year 6 Jimbo Fisher losing by double digits on the road against a team that didn't make a bowl game last year even one with a national pedigree like Miami still just doesn't cut the mustard is that the disclaimer that was like drug facts. you just gave him i know sorry it was yeah it sounds like i'm i'm letting i, I really feel like i'm letting in i'm off the hook by talking about how much i love wigman but Man, it's just just watch the guy. Watch the guy
1: if you if you did not see. Somebody, I know. I I watched him lose to Miami. I think it can be both God. funny and I could be happy that they at least aren't scoring 10 points and losses to teams like they yeah, look <laughs> losing
0: to Miami, like okay, so
1: he had to score 49 points to be able to beat Miami. <laughs> I know, I know, just losing to Miami is a punchline. That's yeah. all I'm trying to acknowledge. You're right. Like I said, they had they, they played decently well in offense. They didn't have 10 points. However, they did still lose to yeah, Miami.
0: This is true. <laughs> Team that avoided embarrassments. Ole Miss survived that mm-hmm. game against Tulane. I'm still pronouncing Tulane like a Yankee. I realized that I, w- I had a long back and forth with Hester about this, about the pronunciation <laughs> of it. Tulane, Tulane. Mm-hmm. I just don't sound natural saying it. So I apologize for that. Do you want me, let's play a little game. Well, okay. Do you want me to offer up the inspiring spin for Ole Miss or the depressing spin
1: for Ole Miss? Let's start off inspirational in this fine this fine morning. Okay. You know? Okay. Um Ole Miss was totally bottled up in the ground game, I thought.
0: Quinshawn Judkins Mm -hmm. had a really, really tough go. It was tough sledding against that two lane front. They were doing a lot of things to make sure that he wasn't going to be the guy to beat them. And they really turned it over to Jackson Dart. And what did Jackson Dart do? He beat them. He Bob, yeah. he, Jackson Dart played, played well. I, I thought he had the best play of his career. The best play of his career was that fourth and four Ole Miss is on the Tulane 21 mm-hmm. yard line. They're up three, four and a half minutes left. It looks like Tulane's going to get a sack or at the very least they're going to rush a throw with him. They had an unaccounted for rusher who was very quickly in Jackson Dart's face. And what does he do in that spot? He doesn't panic. He somehow shakes the guy, but he doesn't run. I thought he was going to try and run and pick Mm -hmm. it up with his legs. And instead he keeps his eyes downfield. He finds his former USC teammate, Michael Trigg. Boom, seven points, just like that. I I love that play. That is the exact type of stuff that has prevented me from being a Jackson dark guy. I was totally ready Mm -hmm. to watch Ole Miss not win this game. And pull up the splits of him against teams versus a win- teams with a winning record versus teams that don't have a winning record. They are very drastic. And this two-lane team, really good. We'll get to the depressing part of it in a second. But Lane trusted him in that spot. And he could not have made a better play. If Dart is going to make late-game decisions like that, Ole Miss is going to be fine in the West. That that to me, like if you're gonna play like that in winning time, and I realize it's on the 21 yard line, so it's not quite the red zone, but if you're gonna play like that in 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 those tight areas, to me, you're taking that next step. You're doing what I was skeptical of coming into this season. If Pete Golding is gonna make second half adjustments like that, Ole Miss will be just fine in the West. Okay. No touchdowns allowed in the second half. That doesn't happen to Ole Miss. That's not the way mm-hmm. that we watch this team play football. They were down 17-7, mm-hmm. to seven, and they scored 30 of the final 33 points. That's good. The final score didn't really indicate how close it was because they had the scoop and score yeah. at the end. But that's that's a team that just won a New Year's Six Bowl. And I kept waiting for Ole Miss to splinter. And without Quinchon Judkins really being able to get going, it wasn't like he was wearing down that defense. I thought they did some great things down the stretch. They closed much better than they did at any point last year. Mm-hmm. And, and I like that. So that's the inspiring spin zone. Is that, did, did that make you feel better about Ole Miss?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think you're, I think you're right there. I think it's those two factors. It's that exact play you were talking about on fourth down. That was just such a perfectly timed, like in the bucket to Triggs. Uh, and then, yeah, it's the 56 yard field goal as well. Right. Because that, when they walked out and like said the distance, we were just kind oh, of yeah. like, Oh, and, and like the way, as much as like I give Lane like crap about the way, like his presence and everything, the way he managed the end of this game was so like BDE like we're we're better than this team and I love that and that's like what Lane kind of robbed us of last year with the whole like contract dispute and everything is that it's so easy to believe in his offense whenever it's clicking and those guys are all on his page it's like yeah we're trying a 56 yard field goal I trust my kicker okay boom next possession we're going down we're going to go for it on fourth down and you're just going to walk into the end zone and it's like yeah like we we're going to be in a back and forth back and forth game with this team and I'm just done with it we're just going to beat this team and go home and that was fire the Sebastian Janikowski kick that Lane attempted when he was the head
0: coach of the Raiders. Pull up that clip right now if you don't know what I'm talking about. Was it like a 72-yard attempt or something like that? <laughs> it was so egregious, yeah. I, I thought we were going to have something something similar to that. And instead, Lane, Mr. I don't like kicking field goals or punting, mm-hmm. has this... That was a huge field goal. Huge field goal in that spot. And that, that felt like a, a big, big play in that game. The depressing thing... And maybe this isn't so much an Ole Miss thing. Some of it's Ole Miss, some of it's SEC-wide. Tulane did not have Michael Pratt. Found that out at the mm-hmm. very, very last minute. When I saw that tweet from Pete Thamel, I was like, wait a minute, what? Why did nobody know about this throughout the week? Maybe Vegas knew about it, and that's why Ole Miss was a seven or seven and a half point favorite, depending on where and when you looked. Does Ole Miss have the most impressive win in the SEC through two weeks, Will? I, I think so. And it's a group of Over five teams It's a group of with five team with a backup. I don't know, man. I I can't can't say that Auburn against Cal was more impressive. I can't.
1: Yeah, that was not impressive. <laughs> Tennessee beating
0: up on Virginia.
1: No, that's uh, it's. Uh, yeah, I I, it's, I mean, yeah, it's a ranked win. Honestly, yeah, it's kind of the right answer. Yeah, I don't want to discredit Tulane, but you're right. The Michael Pratt thing does matter. Yeah, but it's only been two weeks and every SEC team lost this big at a conference game.
0: Yeah. And Michael Pratt, for those saying, I had Ole Miss, a couple of old Miss fans in my mentions saying like, oh, they would have killed him even Michael Pratt was out there. i like, all right, Michael Pratt. do you watch that game, brother? Exactly. Yeah, it was, <laughs> Michael Pratt was national player of the week, week one. He had like one in right. completion. I, I get it. It's, it's against South Alabama. But he did torch USC in that bowl game last year and is one of the better quarterbacks in college football coming back. Um, not saying that Tulane wins that game if he's out there, but it definitely would have been – Maybe a little bit of a different feel going into it. I got a question. Do we have any concern about Quinshawn Judkins? Because quiet week one, I get it. Mm -hmm. It's Mercer. Still was out there probably a lot more than than you would have liked in a game that was so lopsided from the jump. 18 rushes for 48 yards in this one. His longest Mm -hmm. run of the first two games is 13 yards. He did have a 21-yard catch, so I'll add that. This is this is the challenge of being at the top of the scouting report, though, like when you're a preseason All-American teams are going to sell out to try and stop you. And maybe Jackson Dart is at a place in his career where he is able to benefit from that in this Ole Miss Mm -hmm. receiving room, which lost Trey Harris, unfortunately, in this one. Who know? Like, hopefully he's just banged up and he's going to be coming back. Kid Wade made a ridiculous like OBJ like catch um, on, on the side. That was incredible. But. Mm-hmm. Are we a little bit worried, a little bit worried that Ole Miss's best player has been pretty bottled up and has kind of lacked that explosiveness? Maybe part of that's on the Ole Miss offensive line as well, but I don't know. Like He just has not felt like the Quinshawn Judkins that we saw last year. Still very,
1: very early, but very quiet start to the year for someone who led the SEC in rushing last year. Yeah, he unfortunately is starting to feel like the statistical profile of one of those guys that just has a banger year. And then just starts to get a little bit too much. Like they start leaning on him too heavily and he becomes a little bit more of a decoy in year two. Cause I, that, that was my exact takeaway watching him play. I was just like, and this guy is good. Like I'm not dumping on him, but it doesn't look like they have the ability to scheme him these easy runs to kind of get him going. Um, And like, hey, Tulane ranked team, I understand. But again, you play in the SEC. On some level, you have to view Tulane athletes as guys that didn't get offers to Ole Miss. So I'm not going to say like, oh, the offensive line play is going to get better when they start playing Alabama. Like, that's not how this works. So like, I respect Tulane. I do. But that's the type of a game where you'd need to lean on that guy if he kind of has the juice. And I feel like we have a long season of Lane kind of using him as a decoy, him not being shifty enough to a counter like these eight and nine man boxes. But what that does is it opens things up for Jackson Dart. Exactly your point. So if we get this Jackson Dart, not an issue.
0: Agreed. If we get the guy who starts making mistakes in the red zone and is not able to take advantage of defensive mistakes, then yes, obviously Mm -hmm. that, that is a problem, but so far so good for Ole Miss. Let's stay in the Magnolia state here, Mississippi state. What a weird win. This was against Arizona. Weird, weird Mm -hmm. win. If you were maybe flipping back and forth between this, And the Texas-Bama game, just bizarre on on a variety of levels. Will Rogers completed 13 passes in a game that needed overtime, Will. Uh, Yeah. In all 32 of his starts under Mike Leach, he had at least 30 pass attempts. Yep. In his first two, with your boy, Kevin Barbet, in this offense, 29 pass attempts, then 17. 17 in this game. Mm -hmm. He said... Uh, on the broadcast afterwards that he politely told Kevin Barbet to put the ball in his hands in overtime. And they dialed up a screen to to Jeffrey (laughs) Pittman, which he made a really nice play. And it was, it was a nice play design Mm -hmm. there in that spot. Nice little wrinkle that you can't really do with the air raid in the same sort of way. If you're going to have all this drop eight coverage, but Mississippi state's still searching for that offensive identity. Despite the fact that I love Woody marks, people need to be talking about him more.
1: He's a star. I was about to say you nailed that one. He was the hero of the game, man. It was like we were talking about on the uh, swing routes and like how frustrating it must be as a running back to play in the air raid. This dude had or sorry, had 124, 123 yards on 24 carries. So this was his exact coming out party that you hoped for, just not exactly the way you hoped it would happen. The, the offensive droughts, though, in this game, they were, they were
0: significant because they, they, they came out and they did what I, what I expected. Much better start, much more urgency early on. Arizona is turning the ball over left and right. I mean, it felt like they they forced like seven turnovers. You look up and you're wondering, how in the world is this still a one-score game? That that was the problem. Mm-hmm. Jet Johnson, two interceptions in this game. The best SEC linebacker that nobody really talks about, but mm-hmm. just weird vibes all around. It felt like they should have put that game away so much earlier. Like, Mississippi State felt exasperated by night's End. Just relieved to find to, to escape with a victory instead of having an Epic collapse Rogers. If you looked at him after the OT touchdown, he barely celebrated that he was mm-hmm. raised, raised one fist like, Oh, great. And he's a quiet kid to begin with. So I don't want to look too much into that, but there was, if you watch the end of this game, there was a review to see whether Arizona picked up a first down to keep the game alive. It was the scramble by Jaden Delora, the Arizona quarterback, And it looks like he was right on that line again at the yellow line, which we know is not definitive. But they had this long, long review, as they should. It's the game. If he doesn't, if he's not to the line again, the game is over. And obviously, you know, they could have tied the game or perhaps even gone for two and won it if he had been able to convert on that. And the entire time during that review, Arnett is just repeatedly saying to Cole on the sideline game over game over <laughs> and he's you got the feeling zach garnett is just get me out of here get me out of here with a Please win let me go home let yeah. me get let me get this ugly dub and then arnett Comes over to Cole in the post game, and he drops an F bomb right away on SEC Network. It was great, and he quickly realized he's still getting used to some things. Okay, still getting used to duties as a head coach. The post game interview—we
1: talked about that too. Who we just never heard from this guy because, like, there was just not a lot of communication with Leach's assistants. And like the first couple of times we heard him, was like answering for like not answering for an interim head coach after like the tragic passing of Leach in the bowl game. And then it's like offense just sputtering. It's like, man, we should have gotten, like, get this guy into our talk shows in the offseason just to see his happy side because he has just been exasperated every single time we've seen him talk. Yeah, I, I don't know if he knows what his
0: team is at this point. There are, there are a lot of moving pieces. A lot of teams in the SEC mm-hmm. right now who through two weeks are probably just scratching their heads going, I have no idea what to expect from my team quarter to quarter, drive mm-hmm. to drive. They host LSU next week, though. And that's That's a game that you love every single year because you feel like Mississippi
1: State is an automatic win if you are an LSU fan. No, when Dan Mullen was there, I did. I want to be clear. Dan Mullen is no longer there. (laughs) True. Very true.
0: But I don't really know what to expect from either one of these teams. I'd be stunned if Harold Perkins is dropping into coverage against a team that's only going to throw 17 times. I that seems that seems like a losing battle might wanna might want to force will will rogers into some tough decisions I, I don't know what the game plan is going to be with him but yeah just a a strange strange game that mississippi state is fortunate to win it felt like after really not being able to cash in on so many of those turnovers when it felt like they should have been up a lot more than they were
1: yeah, no, it's 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 funny because like you're going from this wide open style to this more kind of measured style, and everything just feels tight so far. Like, yeah, you could argue that Rodgers was efficient, but he didn't get enough chances, and so that's kind of like what you're trying to balance with like finding a middle ground between two very different, very kind of strange offensive philosophies. So, yeah, I think LSU Mississippi State is going to be chaos as always because neither of these teams knows what they're good at right now. Yeah, what are what are your strengths? What what are you going to fall back on um,
0: mm-hmm. I, if if we see a little bit more Mike Wright? Mississippi state backup former Vandy quarterback would not surprise me given what the direction of this Mm -hmm. offense feels
1: like it is going in. Speaking of Mike Wright, that's a great note. Sorry, I, they only used him once. I'm really glad you brought him up because that was another thought I had in the back of my head. Like, we're okay if we're going to do this, we're just like, right? Yeah. And I think there are some Mississippi State fans who are kind of wondering
0: is he the better fit in this scheme for what they want to do than Will Rogers? I, maybe T- time will tell. You're not exactly going to put somebody with Will Rogers' numbers on the bench and decide oh the guy who wasn't going to start at vandy he needs to be our starter now you're not going to do that unless things really go sideways but just something to something to keep in mind that i think if we see these offensive droughts and will rogers not being used in the way that i mean anywhere close to the way that he was used under mike leach i think that that'll be a question that's asked vandy and wake forest all you need to know about this game all you need to know because nobody watched this game nobody watched this game and it was delayed it I said that Vandy was going to be the first FBS team just to go three and zero. That did not happen. It wouldn't have happened anyways because I think the delay prevented that. But all you need to know about this game, besides the fact that AJ Swan is very much living up to my promise that he would break the Vandy TD pass record and also lead the SEC in interceptions, he's well on his way. Vandy had all this momentum down 17-14 after a touchdown. They forced a three and out. And they're getting ready to receive a punt. And what happened? What? What's you know, like what's the, the worst, worst, worst thing that that can happen when you feel the punt? You know, like maybe <laughs> Florida. <laughs> You're talking to an LSU fan, brother. You shouldn't ask me that question. <laughs> Some really bad things happened well, last year. Well, you know what? That's actually just one third of what happened in this scenario. Mm-hmm. Thankfully for Vandy, it didn't. I guess have multiple guys wearing the same number on a punt return and extended to drive. But here's what Vandy did on this play. this very pivotal play in this game. Vandy roughed the punter. And then instead Mm -hmm. of fielding the punt, muffed it and wake forest took it back the other way for a touchdown. I'm going to say there's no way. (laughs) And somebody, maybe somebody has this number. There's no way that play has happened in college football more than 20 times. Ever. With all mm-hmm. three of those things happening, where you rough the punter, you muff the punt, and the other team takes it back for a touchdown. that That's the trifecta right there. And if you're going to do yeah. that, I, I would love to see the win percentage of the teams that have done that in a football game. Got to imagine it's real low. Got to imagine. But that's that's pretty much how ugly this was for, uh, for Vandy after... A somewhat promising start wherein the passing game looks like it's capable of doing some things. But yeah, I mean they couldn't stop yeah. a nosebleed against the run either. So probably wouldn't probably wasn't gonna really matter a whole lot. Any other we don't have any more thoughts on Bandy? We can move on. No. Okay, let's move on. Let's move on to the Pac-12 after dark game. Auburn and Cal. I stayed up and watched this because why wouldn't I? I was gonna stay up till three in the morning cranking out notes and stories and whatnot anyway. So of course I did.
1: This game was... I was struggling, man. I'm proud of you with the new baby and everything. That's SEC. Okay. Across the board for two weeks, SEC teams have just been collapsing late in games. Can't say that about you. I'm, <laughs> I'm running on fumes right now. I'll, I'll be honest. There
0: was, was a 7.30 wake up this morning after going to bed at roughly mm-hmm. like, I don't know, like 3.15, 3.30, something like that. So we're uh, we're not working on our most sleep. So if I sound a little bit off or if I say a name wrong or something like that... That's my excuse. That's what I'm going to say. Nobody wanted to win this football game. Nobody.
1: What <laughs> Bare- <in> a transition. <laughs> <laughs> it was bad.
0: And nobody wanted probably to watch this uh, except for degenerates by the end of this. there was mm-hmm. It was ugly. Turnovers, penalties, missed kicks, you name it. This had it. But the good news for Auburn, it didn't travel all that way to come home with a loss. That would have been a long flight home if they had
1: not been able mm-hmm. to come out with a win. A very, very ugly win. Did not matter that Auburn all That guy. would have been very reminiscent of like – I don't know if you had this, but the stereotypical like ride home from your dad – ride home with your dad after going like 0 for 4 making an error in a baseball game. That would have been Hugh Freeze on the whole flight home. Like, you know, y'all made me fly all the way out here to California just to watch you lose the cow. All
0: right? <laughs> and they, they were so bad offensively too. So for Freeze, that would have eaten at him way, way mm-hmm. more knowing how bad that was. I don't know – if you could play a game as bad as Auburn did from an offensive standpoint and win more than 20% of the time, but Mm -hmm. who cares when you're going against Cal, I guess you have that option on the table. It's very herky jerky. The Auburn offense was even with Jarquez Hunter back. But Mm -hmm. I kind of watched this going, "Mm, maybe the two quarterback system isn't great. Maybe it's not. Maybe Peyton Thorne probably needs some more reps with the, with the ones and, bringing in Robbie Ashford in a game like this. I am not saying that was the reason that Auburn's offense was ineffective for most of the night, but didn't felt like it helped and definitely not in the mm-hmm. way that it did in the opener uh, against UMass. Eugene Asante, that guy had by my count, 35 tackles. He was Everywhere, <laughs> everywhere. No, nope. how how that guy in the fourth quarter is still going unblocked was beyond me. Cal's gonna look at that film and be like, "Oh, we should have blocked the guy that was making every single tackle. Bad on us for not doing that." But big day mm-hmm. overall for the Auburn defense. Ron Roberts, is this potentially a different ending to this game if Jade not the Cal running back if he stays healthy? <laughs> maybe, maybe. um, I Jade not was not exactly winning over the Auburn faithful after his pregame comments. I missed this. I didn't realize he said this until, until the game started and they were talking about it. But he said um, that what they saw on film of Auburn in comparison to what their name is, like basically like didn't line up and that it would be really Mm -hmm. encouraging when we get this win. Hmm. I'm, I'm pro player confidence. I'm not going to totally crap on someone for saying something in a press conference that moves the needle because we often search for that. And we often rip the coach speak and stuff like that. But eh, Cal, I don't know. Trying to make your first bowl game in four years. I don't know if you're the person that should be coming out (laughs) and saying that maybe they just feel a little bit scorned. Cal does us against the world. Their own conference didn't even Mm -hmm. want them. Nobody, no other conference. I mean, it's the ACC, but still you get what I'm saying. It's Mm -hmm. an odd move in that situation, I I thought, and probably something that he wanted to have back after his offense was even less effective.
1: Listen... If you are going to have the nerve to say, oh, Auburn isn't what we thought they were, and then you watch them come to your house, make you inexplicably, with their Auburn magic, miss three bunny field goals, and then after not moving the ball whatsoever, find a way to score 14 points, which is just enough to beat you and get a W, that's the most Auburn win of all time. Honestly, saying this team doesn't look like Auburn, Hugh Hugh Freeze recaptured Auburn magic in one night, because that is the least sensible win I've seen Auburn have since prime Gus years right. yeah this was uh Kevin Steele
0: defensive fueled type Auburn defenses I mean like yeah exactly rock fight just absolute rock fight it's, I still don't get why the over-under was 54 and a half for this game yeah It's like what, what have we seen from from these offenses that that inspires that much confidence they didn't even get halfway there uh in, in this game
1: but Given what you get, like, a declining multiplier or divider, it's like past bedtime Hugh Freeze, where it's like, hey, noon, he's ready, he's got his coffee, he's Ted Lasso. Past that, like, 11 p.m. window, doesn't have the juice. And especially that far away from home, <laughs> yeah, very yep. very much out of his element. I don't
0: think Hugh Freeze is going to be booking a return trip to Berkeley anytime soon. <laughs> Can't say that's going to make his vacation agenda. But the good news for Auburn, went ugly just Mm -hmm. win ugly by any means you Auburn fans know all too well after experience in the last two years, do not take wins against power five competition Mm -hmm. for granted, especially on the road. That is not an easy thing to do. And despite the fact that your team has some significant offensive issues that it's going to have to work through, you're able to win ugly in a game that made no sense whatsoever in any way, both with the scheduling and with the way that it played out it was just an absolute slap fest but hey better to win ugly than to lose ugly that's what i always say
1: yeah yeah ideally you can make these like as we always say you can make these gains in wins instead of losses but yeah i just this game felt like so torturous because it was the last like i felt like that was an absolutely awesome slate of college football like start to finish it was great and then i was like fully like trying, just praying for Auburn to put this game away so I could go to sleep. That's why I'm so shocked that you made it like so readily through that game. Cause I was like, so burned out. And I was just like, guys, you're so much better than Cal. Like please score this extra touchdown. And they just wouldn't do it for like a quarter and a half. It was just sitting there, got through halftime. I was like, I know you're going to win this game. You're Auburn. This is like how this works. Just do it right now. please. If you
0: had told me after the day of watching football that I had of trying to keep track of 14 games, which I always say Mm non-conference play, is nearly impossible to keep track of, of everything that goes on. But trying to watch as much as possible and having this game be the last game of the day, if you had told me this morning, Connor, you actually dreamt that entire second half and <laughs> none of that actually happened. You just fell asleep on the couch and saw all those missed field goals it, it, like between like three your eyelids. I, I would not be surprised. It was it was that type <laughs> of day. It was a long, long day of football and not the best day for the SEC, which is what we're going to talk about with Yarna. Let's mm-hmm. start with this one. The SEC won't overcome its poor non-conference showing for the rest of the regular season. ya yeah or nah? What do you think?
1: Uh, in terms of reality or perception?
0: Let's go. Aren't they two of the same?
1: Um, no, that's a really good point. Yeah, I think that they pretty much all the Joel Klatz and the SEC haters already have their ammo. So I think what happens until there's a resounding W in the college football playoff, I think the hay is in the barn for people to hate on the SEC all year. I agree. The, the three biggest
0: non conference games for the SEC, all losses, all double digit mm-hmm. losses, which is crazy. Bama losing in home to Texas, LSU losing in Orlando, Florida State, and Annam losing at Miami. Those th- those were the three big headliner games in non-conference play for the SEC. And remember, Georgia doesn't have a non-conference game that's going to move the needle because of the Oklahoma thing. Same with Tennessee. Don't think that we can say Virginia, even UTSA, sneaky good UTSA. I don't think that we could say that's a non-conference game that's going to move the needle. I don't even include Florida losing at Utah because Florida, when you're coming off of consecutive losing seasons, not going to include you in the the contenders group. But where can the SEC move the needle in non-conference play like the rest of the way? Think about it. Those opportunities are are kind of in the rearview mirror.
1: Florida beating Florida State. Florida could beat FSU. Ah. <laughs> Don't you worry, brother. That would be the most Florida win of all time at this point. South Carolina beating Clemson. I, even that. Oh I, man, that's another good one. That's like if you're worse than Clemson right now, it's not a good place to be. Yeah, that's
0: that's pretty much it though. And mm-hmm. Mizzou beating Kansas State. Okay, that'd be a really nice win for Mizzou. I realize mm-hmm. Mizzou fans would feel good about that. I, that would not mean that the SEC is just over this horrendous start, it wouldn't, it absolutely wouldn't. Yeah. And so if you're an sec fan, take my advice, take my advice here. Don't spin this. Don't spin this. Mm-hmm. Don't spin this for this year because the argument's not there. It's not there. If you want to keep it specific to your team, I would suggest you do that. Now is not the time in which you deflect and say, well, the sec did this, this, and this, this year. Now, if you want, I'm just saying if you want to bring in a little history and if you're so desperate for a spin zone and you need a few stats to float to your buddies who are crapping on the SEC, all you got to do is this. Just say, hey, last 17 years of college football, did your conference champion play in a national championship 16 of those times? Did that happen? Mm-hmm. Nope. Nope. It happened in the SEC. If you are looking for just something, just just something, there is an argument against every single conference okay there is that's that's still there pac-12 is looking like it is save the best for last and there is no denying that whatsoever do not get into an argument <laughs> with a pac-12 fan that is focused on this year because you will lose it I, i'm telling you mm-hmm. right now but if you want to extend the parameters out and if you want to look at history and say well congratulations talk to me when you actually win a playoff game for the first time since 2014 if you want to talk to a big 10 fan all you got to do is say, Hey, look, it was great that Ohio state won the playoff that first year. They've won one playoff game since then. That's cool. That's great. Congratulations on having a, a team. Who's sixth best in your conference that won a non-conference game against Iowa state. Congratulations. Good for you. If you want to point to things like that, you can. And the ACC thing, the ACC's done really well. AC what four and one against the SEC. Mm-hmm. So far this year with Tennessee beating Virginia, that's the lone one. And that was obviously four touchdown spread. Jeez, man! Yeah, the South Carolina UNC game was another big matchup. Yep, I lost that one too. So, look, I, my my only advice is just don't keep it on this year. The mm-hmm. the quicker you can move this out to history, playoff era, last fifteen years, the time in which any recruit in this day and age is actually going to remember, the quicker you can move the argument there and get it out of this year. Do it. That's 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 a, that's what you have to do. So. The other yarn now that I have, and this is, this is related to that. So, so I want to just go right into it. Yeah. No sec team has performed above expectations. I think, yeah, I will. This feels 2016 ish. Okay. That year Bama was the sec's lone elite team. That's it. I'm going to bring up a sore memory for you. LSU dropped the opener to Wisconsin at Lambeau. Mm Georgia was in year one with Kirby. In a mansion in Wisconsin. Who could forget? AM had lost all the, the Manziel momentum. Auburn mm-hmm. still trying to recover from the embarrassment that was 2015 with Jeremy Johnson. Tennessee was preseason top 10 coming into 2016. And then the Thursday night game against App State, where they had to win in overtime and they're winning these games barely and they're dropping in the rankings. You're like, yeah, we probably got ahead of our skis with Butch Jones led Tennessee. Every SEC team besides Bama that year had at least four losses. Are we heading for that type of year? There is a chance that we will look up in January and we will say every SEC team outside of Georgia finishes outside of the top 10. That mm-hmm. is on the table. And if you're putting another team in the top 10 right now, like even Tennessee, after the very, very slow start that they got off to in a favorable matchup against Austin P, wherein people are finally coming back to earth with some of their Joe Milton expectations. (laughs) I think even Tennessee fans are like, mm, this doesn't really feel like we hope. Now, if you go and win in Gainesville for the first time in 20 years, and if you blow them out, I think Tennessee fans will feel a different kind of bravado. But I think it's fair to wonder if this is very 2016-ish and if it's Georgia Mm -hmm. or bust for the SEC. I I, I think that the odds of getting two SEC teams in the college ball playoff is slim to none at this point.
1: Yeah, I think, I, I think that's a fascinating point <clears throat> for a couple of reasons. Number one, when we give Georgia crap for having an easy schedule, it's because it's like, help me. <laughs> like It's like, it's your moment right now. We need you to go play Michigan or someone in a uh, kickoff classic, skunk them into the ground the way that Bama used to do with USC, and then we all pretend like that's us. That's how this whole thing is supposed to work. I know you guys are kind of new to this whole thing. What you're supposed to do is skunk a really good team. We all lose, and Ride your coattails. So let's just run that up the chat. The the chain. We'll get there. Second. Um. Yeah. I think that Ole Miss. I think has played a little bit better than we thought. Jackson Dart, for sure, has played a little bit Jack- better than we thought. Judkins is worse, but Jack. Uh, but Dart being better makes that overall better. Um. And I just want to give a third little piece of uh, copium here. If you're an a And M fan, you're thinking, Hey, you know, my guy's not better than Tyler Van Dyke. If you're an LSU fan, you're thinking, Hey, my guy's not better than Jordan Travis. You can go South Carolina. Hey, not better than Drake May all your guys can be better than Jalen Milrow for a day. Just remember. It wasn't all bad with Jalen
0: Milrow. Like it was, I said for a day, for a day, for a day, for a day. Yes. (laughs) The mistakes were, were just so unbelievably bad that that's, Mm -hmm. that's the stuff that you just cannot do on that stage, obviously. But I I think that if you're, if you're trying to figure out, man, how quickly eight months of off season buildup for specific teams how quickly mm-hmm. that has gone out the window, man! I like even Georgia fans. Another, it was another slow start. It was another slow start. And a yep. really favorable matchup against Ball State, and you're. I was texting with with Aaron, with Aaron Murray about this, and you're just like, man, like, what, why, like, why, why are they not taking any chances downfield? Why they got to throw mm-hmm. Dylan Bell in there? I realize he was a high school running back. He Looks pretty good playing running back, but like, is Georgia, you know, maybe a little bit in a little bit of a, of a transition offensively. I think it's fair to say that you're just kind of wondering, all right, mm-hmm. like we, we set expectations so high for them. So it's obviously really difficult to live up to that, but still you're getting so many of these teams in the sec, man, you're looking up in the middle of the second quarter and you're like, why are they clinging to a one touchdown lead against an FCS team? How many fan mm-hmm. bases have experienced that so far in the first two weeks? It feels like everybody it feels like so many teams are like looking around going, okay, okay. When, when are we going to score four consecutive touchdowns Kentucky in that game yesterday? Mm-hmm. Why the hell mm-hmm. is Devin Leary throwing 25 passes in the first half against an FCS team? And I can say that because I am maybe Liam Cohen, but I'm like wondering some of these watching some of these teams where Tennessee's had the number one offense in college football last year, and they're clinging to 13 to six lead going into the second half. Like what, what exactly are mm-hmm. we seeing? And is it just as simple as saying, well, teams are keeping it basic, they don't want to bust out everything before no. SC play. No, I don't think it's as simple as that. I think there are certain situations where maybe the game plan's more vanilla. But no, I think there there are fan bases who have understandable concerns. It doesn't mean the sky is falling, but yeah, um, I, I I I think outside of Ole Miss, you'd be hard pressed to find any fan base that feels like their team has played above expectations. Maybe not even Auburn because the offense hasn't looked really good yet. Yeah, UMass looks good, but who doesn't look good against Don Brown's defense? Ana. But besides them, Auburn
1: fans were just hoping they would be asleep last night. They were not trying to watch that game. <laughs> that would have been expectations would be a, a candle sleep cap, night shirt, midnight. I don't think Auburn fans are rocking the night shirt. I don't think that's, yeah. no, no, they're not doing that.
0: All right. Last one. The West will be won by someone who isn't Bama
1: or LSU. Yeah or nah. I think it's still Bama Shoot. LSU. I, everybody else has just looks so bad, except for Ole Miss. But I, I'll, I'll see it when I – I'll believe it when I see it. Is Ole Miss about to make its first SEC championship? Hmm. That's the question you're asking. I'm just still not – I mean, I think you got to have both. I think you got to have Judkins and Dart going because for LSU, it's like we'd rather Dart be against Terrell Perkins. We saw how that went. Yeah, do we really think that Pete
0: Golding is going to be representing an SEC team in the SEC (laughs) championship as a defensive coordinator? Oh, wait, he did that a bunch with Bama, but not with Ole Miss. I don't think that that's necessarily Mm. going to happen. But, yeah, the West looks wide open, wide open. I will do my best to not say it's the wild, wild West – as hard as it is for me to not say that i will try and avoid that at all costs i'm just getting it out of my system now but mm-hmm. the west should be the west should be fun the west should be really really fun i am looking forward to getting into conference play but i think the hay is kind of in the barn i think if there is <laughs> if there's an argument with the sec to be considered the premier conference in college football it's going to have to wait until the college football playoff and winning like mm-hmm. three new year, six bowls or something like that. And having the national champ, that's the only way that this, that this narrative is is probably going to change at least for this specific year.
1: Yeah. And like, I'll, I'll say this too. It's like, I I've thought about this a couple of times yesterday. It's, uh, <laughs> it's so funny that like in the SEC, you so quickly move on to like the next thing. And I was literally thinking that about Dave Aranda, watching them blow that game uh against Utah. It was just like, Dave Aranda, you are a Zillow premium member. Like you wherever, hey, AM, you have a bad DC, I'll tell you who will be free next year. Dave Aranda. So like that's the funny thing is like, you know, these guys make these multi-million dollar moves like that, and you so quickly can kind of see it go sideways. I'm not gonna write like the epitaph for any of these guys, but yeah, it's just funny how in the SEC it's like we can already build such a, an opinion when you have so so many convincing losses. But at the same time, yeah, it's like within the conference, we're not even sure Georgia's great because they've played nobody, right? And so now it's like each of these are like, okay, let's just say Georgia starts that slow against Tennessee, being down two touchdowns if Tennessee is like rocking at home, I think could be a problem. So it's like, I, I think this season just gets more and more interesting because as SEC fans, we've kind of seen the end of the movie, which is that one of these teams figures it out. We just don't know which one it is. It's exactly right.
0: One of these teams will figure it out. It's probably going to be Georgia if we're, yeah. if we're being honest. Yeah. I'm, oh I'm yeah, gonna it's probably going to be Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not getting off that take just yet. Yeah, The it was a bad week though. It was a bad week for the mm-hmm. SEC. One of the worst regular season weeks I can remember doing this job. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm struggling to come up with one that was that was more embarrassing. You can go to like early bowl season, I guess, and, yeah. and probably find some of those. But in terms of regular season, the haters
1: love early bowl season uh, where it's like a six and seven SEC team versus like the best team out of the back 12 <laughs> Yeah,
0: um, the most positive development for the SEC was probably that one of its premier programs didn't hire Mel Tucker. That's probably the best development. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yikes, LSU dodged a bullet on that one. If you're Thinking to yourself, hey, man, life is pretty frustrating after week two. At least you're not Michigan State. At least you're not Michigan State. Yep. Yeah. That's a win. In all things. Yeah. No, yeah probably. In all things. Yep. It's a good call, Well, Good call. If you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Saturday Down South on YouTube. You can watch every single episode of the Saturday Down South podcast on YouTube. Those episodes usually go up Monday morning. Um, yeah. But yes. Every single episode of the Saturday Down South podcast is presented by Texas Pete. Follow us on X at the SDS pod, at satdownsouth, at CJ at go so hard. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.